Danny and thanks for tuning in to The Grown Up Hustle. This podcast is based on real people sharing all their different journeys as they navigate this crazy ride called adulting. From coffee o'clock to wine o'clock and all that happens in between, we're here to openly discuss how we're all just really hustling our way through life. So if you're ready for the highs, the lows and a whole lot of real talk, then stay tuned because we've got you covered. Catching you all off guard this week. I've dropped the show a day early. So I wanted to um, release this week's show a day early so that I could release it on March the 30th, which is World Bipolar Day. And that takes place on the same day every single year. And it's designed to help raise awareness globally for bipolar conditions and try to work to eliminate any social stigma and just provide more education and a better understanding for people with the condition. So a bit more information on bipolar. I'm sure everyone has either cracked the joke themselves or heard someone say, oh, you know, if they got bipolar because they're having a bit of a mood swing. But there's a lot more to bipolar than that. And hopefully through today's show, that'll better educate people so that people don't make those jokes or flippant remarks about things that they don't fully understand. So a little bit more information on bipolar. Bipolar is a neurological brain disorder. Uh, It affects over 4 million people in the UK alone. And it affects both men and women equally, but in two different ways. You can either have um, mania or depression. The illness doesn't actually discriminate on sex, but it does appear that women tend to show more mixed cycle behavior with both the mania and the depression, whereas men seem to be mostly affected by the mania or manic episode. Today's interview is a little bit of a different style. Um, I've got my dear friend Elliot Foyles on the show with me today. Um, He used to be my housemate. He's been my friend for many, many years. And through my friendship with Elliot, I actually made a whole nother friendship group which in turn has become my circle of people that have carried me through adulthood. He really did catch me at my lowest point in Australia, and he is like a big brother to me. So, buddy, I know you are listening to this, and I just want to say that I love you with all of my heart, and I am beyond grateful for you coming on and chatting with us today. So, if you were to look at Elliot, you would never suspect that he suffers from a brain disorder. Um, On the whole, there's nothing obvious that meets the eye. Uh, Being friends with Elliot has taught me a lot about mental health and how you should never actually judge a book by its cover. So to paint a bit of a picture of Elliot, he's tall, extremely well built, great athlete, very good at his job. He's got an awesome personality and he's completely the life and soul of the party. And we were both friends and housemates for a number of years without me even realising that he had this brain disorder. However, then I was part of his journey with his second manic episode And since then, I've become a lot more educated on not just bipolar, but brain conditions and other mental health disorders. This is the first time Elliot and I have ever really spoken openly about the events of that day or what happened during that time. And I don't suppose it was a particularly easy conversation for either of us to have with each other. But like I said, I'm so grateful that you agreed to come on and chat with me. Elliot's a really keen advocate for promoting and sharing mental health. And he's always there for people to reach out to as a support network. Uh, For me, being his friend and witnessing him in a manic episode was somewhat surreal, to say the least. But he is back on track and doing great, as you'll hear during the show later on. And through Elliot chatting with me so openly today, 
it's yet another step into better educating and understanding on what exactly bipolar is and how it can affect you and how by using platforms such as podcasts and social media we can actually help disseminate information and get people talking which has been my aim with my shows from the start anyone out there who's listening and looking to help will spread a little bit more awareness about bipolar the trending hashtags for today are world bipolar day and bipolar strong and if you're twitter or instagram users then it's at intl bipolar on both twitter and instagram so with all that being said let's get elliot onto the show with us today Welcome to the show, Elle. It's great to have you on today, sharing your journey with us. So we'll jump straight in. Um, So you're currently 32 years of age and you're living in Sydney, Australia, and you've lived there for the past 10 years um, and you've got a really successful digital sales career. But if we rewind back about 13 years to 2007, you were 19 years old And that was the start of your journey with Bipolar. So do you want to talk us through the lead up um, of events that you and doctors believe to have been the cause of your condition and how your story played out? Yeah, sweet. Um, Thanks for having me. It's quite a bizarre story. I think it's quite unique. Um, And doesn't seem to have been replicated for anyone that I seem to have interacted with. Again, I suppose... (laughs) not really useful for your listeners but i suppose it's um the journey's probably started or they think it started when i was 18 went on um a night out um with a load of rugby boys in cardiff um did the infamous canton mile through about 20 different pubs before you get to the town center which is a challenge a challenge or whatever you want to call it for anyone listening um and then we basically got outside for anyone that knows at cardiff arms park um on the walk into the town center we were walking on the side as if you're walking towards the traffic um uh-huh. and <clears throat> because the uk is a bit more mental than any anyone that's been elsewhere in the world is you can park on pavements in the evening and sort of get away with it and not get clamped or fined in certain areas but um yeah when back when i was 18 there was just cars parked all over the pavement so what essentially that did is push some of us to walk down the right hand side in between the car and the apartments that were there um, uh-huh. that are next to the arms park and overlook the arms park um, and the other half of us down the other side which is obviously the gap where the car was the pavement and the road um, and obviously after 20 pints um, stepped in the road and got hit at about 30 to 40 miles an hour by um, a bus um, I just I still don't know what number bus it was um, for anyone who's interested. Um, but yeah, that basically ended up. Um, it hit me, um, and then I ended up sort of half folded over the car that was parked there, and then obviously ended up on the floor when I sort of slumped after that. Um, people were sort of um, sick on the night because they thought I was dead, obviously. Um, so oh, I was obviously God. unconscious. Um, don't don't remember any of this. So um, there are like. Um, uh, it's not fact. Well, it's not factory. It doesn't happen to everyone. But for traumatic events, basically, people have blackouts, um, and that was um, very true for for sort of my experience. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't remember anything. So people ask me for her, and it's like uh, don't really remember. Um, woke up, um, sort of in the hospital. But you remembered everything <laughs> prior to being hit by the bus from that night. Yeah, like I don't remember sort of stepping in the road, but like I've been told that that's sort of what I did. Okay. Like I didn't know if it was my fault or if it was the bus's, the bus's fault. And then, yeah. like, you know, the bus was 
presumably over 30, which was speeding and all this stuff. But there was enough witnesses that just said it was my fault. So, okay. um, where, where there's blame, there's a claim. In my case, there was not because it was all my fault. <laughs> um, Nothing so, to do with the yeah, 20 so, pints you've had previous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which is self-induced, so therefore my fault. Um, so yeah, I woke up in um, we woke up in in Heath Hospital in A and E, um, still on a spinal board. That was probably one of the most uncomfortable pieces of it. Anyone that's if you've never been on a spinal board, it is literally like trying to lie on concrete and you're not allowed to move because then your neck. I was in a neck brace and basically strapped to the bed because we didn't know if I injured any of that pieces before. Um, so I remember there just more screaming about trying to get out of the neck brace and that my neck was fine and I need to get out of it because it's just so uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, so I woke up um, and then the sort of the only complaint that I had in terms of pain was there was where my fit lower had obviously been hit one by the bus and then on the car and then concrete after that or whatever. Um, all the left hand side of my face had like uh, the skin basically ripped off it, um, oh. basically like road burn. Yeah, um, for anyone yeah. that you know, have been in knows motorbike accidents and all that type of stuff, it's that sort of stuff. But on my face and on my hand, my hand, my whole left hand side really, um, like I shouldn't you know, my legs and stuff were fine. Um, and my left, I remember complaining like to the doctors about my left arm, and um, but I ended up sort of just they checked me over and said, you know, there's nothing, nothing really to declare here. Like he's somehow it's a miracle that he's got away with it. <clears throat> and, and sort of left the hospital that night. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, didn't um, didn't end up like even like the only complaint I had was pain in my arm, um, and then obviously skin pain, which is obviously where my face was so tight, where the the skin started to scab and dry, etc. Yeah. Um, but yeah, didn't like didn't really. I don't remember maybe you know family members could fill you in a bit more than I could, but I don't remember ever getting any sort of CAT scan or. Um, you know, certainly didn't get an X-ray on my arm that I requested. Um, and then sort of a um, few days later, I was basically at home and trying to obviously recovering. Um, and then was walking down the stairs. And I remember as I walked down the stairs, I just felt this crunch in my arm. And I was just like, I couldn't lift my arm above my waist anymore. And was like holding it as if I had made my own sling with my right hand. Uh-huh. Um, went back to the hospital and my forearm was just completely fractured. Um, wow. So it was completely snapped straight through the middle. Um, Did you so feel let down at that stage by <clears throat> the healthcare service in the UK? Because obviously, if you've just been hit by a bus, you clearly have broken uh, bones. Yeah, I don't like. Do you think maybe they didn't take it as person. seriously because you'd been drinking? I think, like, potentially, like that in their head, they were like, I think a drink actually has helped him. Because, you know, like, there's always those stories where, like, you become, you're so relaxed when, you, when okay, you're intoxicated yeah. that your body sort of flops. So I didn't, because of that reason, I didn't brace. Yeah. Um, yeah. So because I didn't brace, I didn't have these sort of bigger damages. But no, like, I, 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 like point one, I think, like, I think I was, I'm not going to hold a personal judge over someone that's just missed something, even though potentially I should have. Um, but like, it's also, the, the guy was, a, I remember the guy's face and he was a junior doctor. And I remember when we went back, I've never seen someone so apologetic and groveling. Like, if we wanted to, I could have probably, had his job right yeah um, yeah definitely it's just like it's it's, it's not who i am and it's not but the way then it go, makes so. you wonder if they missed something <clears throat> as simple as you know a multiply fractured arm they clearly missed other stuff which you know yeah. we found out as time progressed well but again that's what we think right um mm. 
so then um i suppose like a year later um boys being boys boys holiday came around summer holiday where was it It was malia yeah, of all places um nice. when i was 19 so yeah i'd obviously done i think i'd done one when i was 17 one when i was 18 mm-hmm. no issues just drunk and disorderly like every other teenager that's there uh, um 19 went to malia with, with a group of us um and uh, yeah came back and, and like you know the boys that were there obviously went went through what we now know was a, a, a manic episode and, and an episode of mania um where i was just sort of irrational um do you want to and, give that sort of uh, breakdown like... properly for people listening because obviously for for you and now for, for myself over time i've learned what that meant but if someone had said that to me going back before I knew about bipolar and before we were friends, I wouldn't actually know what that involved. So do you want to give us a bit of a breakdown of your behavior when you go into these manic states and, and sort of what leads to these manic episodes? Yeah. Um, hard to sort of summarize. Like I think I, like I try to do it with analogies and, and try to, um, give people sort of understandings in, in sort of your own terms and in the young, your own way that you've thought about it. Uh-huh. The interesting thing with bipolar, I suppose, is that um, people understand the downside of it because everyone has, you know, sadly lost family members or has lost a job or whatever and has felt down in their time so they can relate mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Um, what people, so like it's sort of really easy for people to sort of, you know, correlate with depression and because people have gone through some level of shit in their life and, and can sort of relate to you know that just becoming overbearing and you being in just this negative cycle and this negative negative um downward spiral of life yeah um which is basically you know what both sadly the people with depression have and and people you know that have bipolar have when they're having down episode of it that's what they deal with as well um so the the mania is something that people don't understand um and I, i i certainly didn't have a clue um, so what was going on no more than when you didn't as well before, before you you were part of obviously and saw the first or your first episode my second yeah um, and the only way I can sort of try to explain it is like uh, that sort of euphoria and, and sort of adrenaline that you feel when you're on a roller coaster or um, you're skydiving bungee jumping um you've just secured a job that you've really wanted and you get that sort of overwhelming feeling of, of emotion and sort of ecstasy feeling. Um, like a jittery it, buzz it, it, almost. Yeah. So it's sort of like that, um, but continual. So like you get it, you just feel like that all the time. You almost feel like you're, you're sort of walking on water a lot of the time. And um, if anyone has seen, if it's listening, has seen the film Limitless um, with Bradley Cooper, um, where he takes uh, basically takes a drug and that just puts him into a different mindset after he takes the drug where he can learn a foreign language in three days and um, he just basically you know there's I think in the film it says the the, the average person uses 20% of their mind um, but when you take this drug it opens up a hundred like 80 to 100% of your mind okay. that's sort of the state that you feel like you're in so um, kind of, sort of would- would you would you sort of say then that you you don't really see fear? You think that anything's possible, and you're you're overly euphoric to the point of I would I would say witnessing that second episode with you overly euphoric to the the point of of 
and unrealisticness, I, I guess, is the, the nicest way to put it. Yeah, well, that, that's sort of exactly. And, like, if you can imagine, like, <laughs> like again, if anyone has watched the film, it, you know, it's a great example of um, of what it sort of feels like. But if, if you can imagine that, you know, Bradley Cooper in the film, he starts to learn, like, Italian or French or whatever, like, in, in three days. Um, and then if you imagine that the person with the mania says he's going to be able to do that, but then obviously never can do that. It's an impossible yeah. thing to do. Um, that's sort of like the delusion and the irrational stuff that comes out of your mouth um, because you're in this euphoric, um, ec- ecstatic sort of state. You, mm-hmm. um, you, you, your energy's sort of high. So in the same way, like if you imagine anyone that's, that's met me is like, yeah, I'm a big bloke, you know, as, as you've alluded to, six foot four, um, over sixteen stone, um, you know, hundred. 10 kilos whatever whatever i am now um sort of very chilled out sort of laid back relaxed guy um in, in my own analogy of myself i don't mind saying so. um, <laughs> no you're, you're pretty chilled <laughs> so like yeah and that's the same i think when you when you i think when you get to know sort of anyone right? so anyone that's listening if you can relate to any one of your friends like myself with you like you can you sort of know what someone's zero is so if you know what sort of like, if I know what your zero is, if you think of it on a very simple state scale of like a pH scale that you have in science, mm-hmm. where you have, you know, pH seven and then pH five. And then if you imagine there's a minor scale, so the minor scale is obviously the depression where people go from, you know, there's one, two, three, four. Well, generally people probably say they sit in the, you know, one to three category of, you know, they're going through a shit time and shit keeps happening to them. Um, I think everyone can probably fucking relate to that in 2020. Um, Sadly. So, uh, sadly. So, um, I think, you know, people people with bipolar, they go from, you know, zero to to minus five to seven quicker or very quickly. So they're sort of chopping and changing through the behaviours. Yeah. So I think, like, you know, for, for people... If you imagine your friend, you know they're zero. You know what they're normally like and what they should be like. And it's like everyone's very quick to pick up on, oh, he's not himself, he's a bit down, or she's not herself, she's a bit down. That's easy to pick up on. But it's like if someone's high energy and, like, you see them on a night out or you bump into them in the street, it's like, fucking hell, they're, they're buzzing. Like, oh, they, they Probably just sitting there on drugs or something. <laughs> yeah, like all the above, right? So, yeah. um, you know, and that was... Um, you know, certainly after sort of my episode, that was just in the instant sort of assumption. And So going um, back to, to Greece and your holiday with the mm-hmm. boys, I mean, at that point, did anyone, you know, obviously I, I know that you, you weren't on drugs. Um, I'm assuming they knew you weren't on drugs as well, given the fact that, you know, you were all on holiday mm-hmm. together. Was there any kind of alarm bells? It, do, do you actually remember a lot about that holiday? What? When you yeah, look back, what do you remember? Yeah, I remember a lot, a lot of things. I think that's the until you sort of there are there are periods obviously where you black out because so much is going on, but in your head. But a lot of it you sort of do remember. Um, you know, I did crazy shit from. Um, you know, you can't be told no as well. So that that's the sort of mad state you get into if you're. I'm gonna go and learn. As an example, Italian in three days. It's like, no, you're not, mate. Oh, you don't know what you're fucking talking about. And then that conversation becomes aggressive. Then obviously you're... Because you're agitated the that they're people. telling you no? Yeah, mm. exactly, okay. yeah. Because you just think anything's possible, right? Which is irrational and delusional. Um, 
so so yeah it's uh, you know i look back and when i was on holiday like ballistic like just wasn't sleeping um we were sleeping like you know a couple of hours a night um sort of really drinking a lot <laughs> Drinking a lot, yeah, dehydrated, drugs were not involved. No, um, I know you, yeah. So, yeah, so it's just like, um, yeah, it was like sort of sort of weird. And obviously all my, my closest mates are with me and they, they could tell something was wrong, but they didn't really know what was going on. Um, came home and, and was sort of still like it. Um, what did you your know, really family didn't... at this point start to notice then? Um, they, they definitely thought it was drugs. Like they thought I'd either been spiked or I'd been taking stuff over in the holiday. Right. Um, which you can appreciate from a parent's point of view, young boys going on holiday and all of a sudden, you know, their son comes back and, and is in a completely altered state of mind. Yeah. For 19 years, I was at zero. Right. And then I come back after a two week holiday and I'm at, you know, the plus seven. What's going on? Right. It's like, um. So yeah, I think um, you know, I came home and um, you know, we just wasn't couldn't sleep. And even when I did sleep for you know five or six hours, I'd wake up the next day, and my, my, I don't think my parents could understand why I wasn't back to zero. Um, whereas, like, obviously, if you you imagine where drugs are involved, it's like after twenty four hours, you're it would have worn off. Minus yeah. seven, you're on the minus seven scale, if anything, right? True. Um, yeah. Um, so it's like if. Um, if that was the, that's what sort of confused them, they're like, oh, some, something sort of wrong here, um, you know. And then I can't even remember what it was now. I had like several arguments with with my mum and my stepdad, and then to the point where I was just so frustrated, where they and agitated that they weren't listening to me on my level. Um, remember pulling knives out on them. Not that I was ever going to do something. It was just to try and get them away from me and make them leave me alone. Um, what were they trying to make you do at that point? I can't actually know. I was just trying to think what I can't remember what it was. I think it was just I think I wanted to leave the house and they were basically trying to keep me almost like hostage and just sleep and just chill out and you know, I think me I think myself aggressive being a big guy, right? You just sort of um like I think even in my career, right? Like I'm a big guy and I'm conscious of um sitting in a room and um so making sure that I don't shout people down and make sure I don't speak over people. Um, like that's sort of just stuff I've had to learn over time that my presence can be intimidating and you know in a professional state I can't do that so um, me being aggressive is by far and away sort of intimidating enough as it is so I don't certainly didn't need to add uh, fuel to the fire situation what what was the sort of turning point where you know your family and well, probably not so much you because you wouldn't have been in that mind state of thinking anything was wrong but at what was the turning point where your family said right enough's enough we need to get a second opinion he needs help there's something going on and and kind of who who was the first person that they turned to for help um i think <laughs> i think that was probably the pinnacle of it okay um, yeah fair um yeah i think that was probably did like they call the police on you at that point on. Yeah, the police came and like, you know, the police like didn't really like they can't what like what are they gonna arrest me for? Do you know what I mean? Like I haven't You haven't done actually anything. done anything, yeah. Yeah, so I think they were in an awkward position. I remember putting them putting me in cuffs and they were just like, you know, it wasn't your standard cuffs, it's like the cuffs were in, my hands were in front of me, not behind me. Um and then they just sort of sat me in the car and then I think they took me for like a an interview and a psychological assessment from memory, like I can't this part's a bit vague. But I, I suppose I remember one of the key things of that that I remember is I got taken to someone who lived literally just around the corner from me 
um, who was one of these like senior psychologists. And I remember my mum telling me that that cost a fortune to go and see this guy. Uh-huh. Um, he's a really older older guy, um, but it's like one of the senior psychologists in the country that just happened to live around the corner from me. Um, and I remember having, like going to see him and I agreed to see him and, and sit down and talk to him. Um, and he said, I don't, you haven't got bipolar because you've never had the down or you, ha- you haven't had it yet. But um, he's like, you've got acute bipolar, which not a lot of people know about. And bipolar, you know, when I was back when I was 19, which is, you know, good 10 12 years ago now um it's like bipolar wasn't even spoken about like nobody had a clue what it was um it's now due to you know soap operas or um awareness generally around mental health social media like everything like people are aware of it now Um, i think people are a lot more open now that's why yeah and i think it's all of those factors sort of of lead into it um you know if it's spoken about more people like you know they'll educate themselves and read themselves like probably like you you have yourself i think it's Um, one of the good things one of the better things that have has actually come from social media is awareness and knowledge mm -hmm. so so okay so he diagnosed you with acute bipolar and where did you sort of move forward where did you go for your treatment what did the treatment involve how did that leave you feeling Oh, yeah, I was sort of like fully, I was fully sectioned in the end. Um, so went to Witchurch Hospital, um, was sectioned under the Mental Health Act. Um, I can't probably remember actually how long I was there, um, but obviously wasn't allowed to leave and um, got put on numerous medications. Um, I can't actually remember what the name of the main medication is. Um, but essentially what they do is put you on this medication that just, it doesn't mong you out is the wrong word, but basically just completely mellows you. Um, and just sort of makes you tired and just brings you like all the way back to the zero. Um, Is that the lithium-based drug? Am I making that up? No. Lithium, like lithium's a long-term, what they they would consider if you you couldn't deal with it. For management. It's like long-term, you could take one tablet a day of lithium that would potentially help keep you at zero. Um, This is like the more intense, um, I can't remember the name of it, I'm sorry. Um, That's okay. (laughs) but yeah, essentially, like all it does is it like makes you like really tired, right? Um, and makes you eat. So if you like, it's like a legalized sort of weed. Um, but it, it's obviously not that. It comes in tablet form, and it just makes you really drowsy. Um, so yeah, they put like you put you on a, like that's the probably the drug that you're on for the longest when you're on a manic episode. Yeah, is what brings you back to zero because it just makes you sleep, right? So yeah, so um, that that was that was sort of that really, um, and then. I don't know, how long was I in there? A month, two months, I can't really remember, to be honest. Um, and do you remember much about being in there whilst you were on this medicine? Or is it, you, you literally are so basically out of it with the meds that it kind of all just blurs into one? Um, I don't, like, I think the, faci- I, the, the thing I remember, like, the, the facilities at, at Whitbridge were sort of really good. Um, okay. But I remember sort of being, and this has probably happened with, with every time that I've been ill is i don't know whether it's you know obviously people there's a severity of mental illness that goes from psychosis down to depression to you know all these different ranges of and i because obviously all i ever was was just sort of manic and a bit you know high on life if you like it's like when i was starting to come back to zero i just never felt like i was ill enough to be there 
um, which is obviously they've got to keep you there for a prolonged period of time and go through their process and their comfortability, et cetera, until they're confident that you can sort of be introduced to society again. But um, yeah, when I was coming down to, you know, back down to the threes and the twos on that scale, if you like, it's like, yeah. um, I never really, f- like, I never felt like I belonged there. I never felt, you know, I was like, you know, there was people that were talking to themselves, like sort of openly and, you know, walking around gardens or bed or the room that you're in, you know, there's people shouting randomly and it's just like... I'm, surreal, I, I, very I, surreal. I, I don't sort of, yeah, I don't sort of fit in here. Right? Um, so I remember that. Um, like, you know, I think the, the people that work in these spaces are just phenomenal. Um, the characters that it takes to to deal with that, you know, like I would... I don't really remember that, but I'd imagine that I wasn't too pleasant when I went in, and they had a very different opinion of me when I left. You know. So you you had your treatments, um, and how once you were back out of the hospital, uh, everything was fine. Your friends were were supportive, which I know because you've you've told me the mm-hmm. stories, and you kind of got back to normal then, and you were you were stable mm-hmm. for about ten years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um. And you moved to Australia during that time. Um, I obviously, I was your housemate for, for quite a while. Um, none of us really knew, uh, you know, that, that you had this this brain disorder. Um, and then obviously episode two kicked in. Do you, is there anything that you can pinpoint to being a trigger for that? Because you, you hadn't been on meds during those 10 years. You had been absolutely fine. So yeah. what what was what would you say looking back would be the the, the you know the trigger for that second episode? Yeah, um, and that that's what's pretty unique about my story, right? Is that I've never had to sort of like you know now and, and certainly before my last um, episode for you know, whatever it was nine ten years after I was nineteen. Um, you know, a lot of gone on in my life, moved, you know, emigrated and everything at twenty two, like you said. Um, and I wasn't taking any medication sort of every day, which is sort of unique about about my situation and just managing it. Um, the, the second sort of episode for me, and you know, it's pretty fucked up to say, but um, it sort of I'm, I'm more I'm more at ease now. I've had the second episode than I was after the first. Okay. Um, because I um, because after the first, I think. Um, I never really got given an answer as to why it had happened or what had caused it. Um, and, um, yeah, but like nobody ever said, oh, it was because of this. It was, it's in a culmination, you know, maybe you were spiked while you were away. And, um, it's like, like spiked with drugs while I was away on, on the holiday. And, mm-hmm. um, maybe it's seeing imbalance in your head from being hit by the bus and maybe that had an effect. And I was just like, 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 so what was it? There's got to be something or a reason that's triggering this. Like, I was fine for 19 years and then, you know, afterwards I was fine and never had to, you know, take all these drugs. From living with you, that's, you know, you really do see someone day in, day out, at their best, at their worst. And mm. there was there was absolutely nothing that was any sort of indication to me that, that possibly... You know, anything could be a miss, really, until that that second episode. Yeah, and I, uh, I don't know. Maybe like, maybe it's something that's made up. Like I've been through my general life stories. Is you know, there's been a lot of shit that's going on in my life, and maybe um, it's the way I approach it. 
hence the tattoos on my arm that that sort of you know have a deeper meaning for myself you know the one on my left arm for the listeners that i got my arm that's the arm i obviously got fractured hitting by the bus um which is to the night to the nights you don't remember with the people that you won't forget is tattooed on my arm so obviously don't remember half the night because i was knocked out um but the people that were around me will never sort of forget um and then on my right arm i've got you know may the best of your past be the worst of your future so that um for me is like you know i've always been through these sort of shit situations and there's nobody i've met that's sort of my age has been through the the mental low point that i have but i never sort of dwell on it um it's like how can you move forward and there's going to be a tomorrow and how can you make everything better um you know like i think if you think back to to science and you know when you're in school it's like oh two negatives make a positive it's like sadly that doesn't work in life and every every negative you have you've got to meet with a positive and and step forward you know like crying over spilt milk is not gonna is not gonna help you um yeah so yeah i've always sort of been positive and and sort of had that that viewpoint to to step forward um maybe that that sort of makeup of it and um so i've never you know really ever got depressed like i've I've always gone i never want that to happen again which is what you should always do with shit things that happen in your life right yeah Um, yeah definitely so never sort of dwell on it but it's like in my head then for the for the next decade i was just thinking but what was it was it like just you know because i was on the piss in malia for two weeks and yeah it was just a long bend of it and you know the wrong drink or something or because you know as we know they don't exactly serve belvedere vodka in the bars over there so maybe was it something like that that (laughs) triggered um i I still never knew so then um i think you know after my, my second episode it was when I was able to reflect and then sort of look back of like, well, like, why did it happen again? There was sort of nothing that was consistent. So like I wasn't heavily drinking at the time, but I was at a startup and, and really trying to push myself to, to make the company better, impress, you know, the, the, the two founders of the business and, and really sort of, you know, working all the hours that, that I could to think of ways to help and, and uh, sort of, you know, truly go above and beyond for the business. And, um, yeah. So, like in hindsight, after the the second episode, is the only thing that was consistent across the two episodes for me was just simply a lack of sleep. So over over a long period of time. So it's not like, you know, you have you know one or two nights sleep where you're working hard and you, you know, you, you go on two three hours of sleep. It's like consistently, you know, four hours, five hours, six hours even um, of sleep consistently for. Um, you know, a long period of time and then eventually that just catches up on me. Um, so, you know, like there'll be, there'll be times even now where, you know, I'll go out, oh, you know, a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday and I'm like, yeah, like you're doing nothing on Sunday, mate. You're not even going to leave. Yeah, I think that's just, you know, like you talk about, as I've said, like it's a, there's the analogy to go from, if I can, how do I get back to zero, right? And for me, if how can I, the way I can control getting back to zero is just simply by sleeping, resting. And... For anyone that hasn't, um, you know, witnessed uh, bipolar or, or doesn't know someone with bipolar, it doesn't happen immediately, does it? It's kind of people around you, people that are close to you will start noticing mm-hmm. things are a bit amiss. I, I mean, I, I, I do remember going right back to the New Year's Eve before your second episode. Obviously, I, I wasn't with you that New Year, but um, our friends were, or some of our friends were with you. And your ex-partner at the time um, was with you as well. And I do remember at that point, um, sort of, you know, meeting up the following day or, or whatever. And 
and you know our our mutual friends and and your ex-partners saying something is amiss do you remember yeah, a lot of that um, actually I'm not sure how much they would have told you. Yeah, I remember not a lot, really. I think people are very scared to tell me things, um, unless it's after the fact. Yeah, so people are listening, I think, yeah, it's not something that's there overnight. It's something that builds over time. Um, And that's my point, is is my advice to anyone is, like, um, you really, like, I think us as human beings have a duty to get to know our circle, whether, you know, your friends, your family, whatever that looks like is your, your individual situation. But the more you sort of intimate, intimately get to know someone and someone zero, then you'll start to pick up on their plus one, plus two or minus one, minus two in their life. Had you talked to your uh, partner at that time about the potential that you had bipolar what had happened in the past did she know the ins and outs and was she <coughs> then was that then ringing alarm bells for her when she started seeing you acting differently yeah no um so that's probably my bad and, and you know, i apologized for it um, and probably my learning um over time and, and maturity i think um and i think it's probably also due, due to time and, and society as well like people are more accepting of, of yeah. these issues now um, and maybe that played a part of why I didn't tell my partner when I was getting into a relationship with her about it. Or maybe it was the fact that I was like, it's only happened once. Like, why would I bring it up? Like, it's... It'll be fine. Know, people, yeah. Yeah, you know, do people tell everyone when they punch a wall? Or it's like, no, they don't. It's like, it's a blip in my life. And, you know, does that, you know, do you go, do you sit down with every partner that you've ever been with and tell them all the shit that you've been with with exes? Like, no. No. <laughs> Um, so it's like you know what, like what do you disclose or not disclose when you're in a new relationship? But um, yeah, it's something that I've, I've definitely disclosed in in your relationships, and something that I'm, I'm obviously very open about to speak about now. Yeah, um, yeah. But now she did, she didn't have a clue, so she just obviously, and that that to my point that I was sort of beginning to make is like, is if if you can start to get to know what someone is and their zero and their neutral point, then when someone's acting off, and it could just be. You know, I think my, like mine starts, like I remember speaking to like colleagues and stuff. Because um, obviously this affected my work uh, and everything um, at the time, the second episode. Um, and I remember speaking to my colleagues and they were just like, you were just like fucking really insensitive. And like, so it's just things came out of your mouth that were like actually offensive. It's just not who you are. or what, Like, you know, I'm very considerate of people and, and the way that things I say affects them. And just rude, obnoxious and just this asshole, basically. Which you know, some people you speak to might say that that's exactly who I am. Um, no, no, you're not. You're funny. You're funny, rude, but you're not. Um, you're not an asshole. Leave that to the listeners to decide. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I think um, like you know, colleagues are just saying, oh, you know, and I remember over coffees with some people, and you know, I actually make a point of sitting down and trying to reconcile with people that I may or may not have um, affected. You know, there was there was one girl that I was working with, and she asked her for a coffee with me when I went back to work and she just broke down in tears and was like apologizing to me that she never knew and she never helped and, and all this stuff. And like, obviously that made me feel like shit, but I was like, don't be so ridiculous. Um, and then someone else, you know, said that, um, just basically disregarded the work that, that they'd been doing for the last like six months and, and basically called them stupid in front of the whole team. Um, so something like as small as that, um, can just be like, what, almost like that stuff of like what's his problem all of a sudden or what's got up his ass or... at one stage 
again, it's it's not my memory. This was, I, I don't know if it was maybe you or potentially your mum or someone saying to me that at one stage you had, you were running around the office, you were absolutely manic. And I think you, you had actually, like, not intentionally, but intimidated quite a lot of your work colleagues with this, like, manic behaviour and then left the office. Was that the... Yeah. That was kind of that the real awesome. start of that yeah, second that, episode? Yeah, that was probably, you know, that's on the escalated scale. Then. Um, so, yeah, you know, um, treated, you know, colleagues and spoke to colleagues eventually. Like, it was just out of control, right? Um and you know, I remember shouting at the the founders in, in, in a boardroom and, and having a full deep argument with them and they were just constantly asking me like what's going on, what's wrong, what's wrong with you, what's going on? Um, and that because it, when you're in the sort of manic state you, you don't think anything's wrong, right? You think there's something wrong with everyone else. Because they're like, not hearing like, you. Why, why yeah, why are you not hearing me? Why are you not on my level? Why are you not understanding this? Um that's sort of um what's going through your head and then them pushing me to ask what's wrong with you it's like what you know you just you know if you get poked a bit you're poking a bear right so if you get asked that over and over again it's like what do you mean what's wrong with me what the fuck's wrong with you um so yeah that that sort of culminated in you know not a, not a pretty scene and um you know i think i'll i'll forever be in debt to to, the, to those to that to those people and to to that that company um and, and to those founders and and, you know when when they stood by me and what what they did for me. Yeah, I never sort of be able to repay it, and um, you know went on to go back and and integrate back in, into teams and and into the company and, and you know deliver things that I never thought were possible for the company, um, which you know um, I'm sort of really proud of looking back and um, left left a mark. Left, certainly left a mark. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's more positive and negative in the end. Definitely. Why? I wanted to share this uh, topic today on the show was obviously I was there to witness um, that that real the 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 sort of from my point of view I guess the main day of that um, uh, episode two um, and I'll always always remember it um, I was actually at Warringah Mall uh, I'd just bought cinema tickets it was boiling and this makes me wonder with your lack of sleep and you were training like mad it makes me think again dehydration could have been Mm -hmm. another role in it for you Mm -hmm. and I can remember I was about to go into the cinema and um, your mum rang and she was obviously really upset and you wouldn't speak to her and she said I I, can, can you come I need help and she obviously she explained where you were. You were at a gym in the northern beaches, and um, she also rang another good friend of ours, um, Ten, who obviously used to live uh, live with you as well. Mm-hmm. At that point, Ten was uh, boarding a flight to Melbourne. Uh, she backtracked, stepped back off the plane as she was just about to take off, and she got in the car. Yeah, and she got in the car. <laughs> We all love you, so don't feel bad. Um, so don't be friends with anyone by polio. It costs you money. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I don't think she begrudges it. Um, and <laughs> and she got in the car and she drove up to the northern beaches too. Um, and obviously you would not speak to your mum remotely at that point. And she had run mm-hmm. the police. You were in the gym. It was a friend of yours, I believe, that, that, that ran the gym. Yeah. 
um, they said that that you weren't acting like yourself at this point. It had been brewing for a few weeks, and I think you were at, at that that point where nobody mm-hmm. could speak to you. So, mm-hmm. but I remember the police coming and saying, "Look, he's not actually doing anything wrong." So we, you know, that th- there is nothing mm-hmm. that we we can do. We can't arrest him. And your mum was saying he's got, you know, he's got a, a brain disorder. He needs help. You know, he's not going to listen to me. He's not going to listen to anyone else. And the police were like, there's nothing we can do. And they laughed. But I remember that um, your stepdad at the time uh, managed to get you to come with me and Ten and him for some food at um, a, Mm -hmm. you know, a a little cafe by the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know how much of of any of this you remember, actually. But um, Yeah, no, I remember this. You do remember remember this. I mean, for us looking at you, speaking to you, I'm looking at you and I know it's you, but from your behavior, your mannerisms, even down to your voice and how you were speaking, it was literally like someone else had stepped into your body. And we, I remember trying, we tried so hard, please, can you just, can we just go to the hospital? No, no, you would not have any of it. And the thing that I I always feel really sad about is obviously you ordered food and there was cutlery on the table. And because by this point I knew what had happened with that first episode, <laughs> I remember feeling really, I, I was scared, you know, which is, is a horrible thing to say. But but I was scared of you at that point, which makes me feel bad because I love you, so I would never be scared of you. But it wasn't you sat there. And I remember eventually, you know, Tenny started crying. And I remember you were like, you know, what what are you bloody crying for? And she was like, please, like, please, can we, can we just, can you just do it for me? Like, uh, at that point, she hadn't long lost her dad. She had been through her own journey. And I think she had sort of Mm -hmm. said to you, I just, I need, I need you to do this. So you, you, you said you'd go once you finished your food, because, you know, (laughs) manic or not, food is always a priority for you. And, um, and we went to the, the hospital and obviously I know my way around the roads well but you were sat in the passenger seat next to me and and I just couldn't think I was so flustered and you were laughing at me and you were like what's wrong with you you know why why are you acting like this and I was like oh you know I'm just I'm just you know having a having a dizzy moment but actually I just could not think straight because I was shaking like a leaf a that I was afraid you're going to jump out the car when I stopped at the lights or that you were about to flip out so I remember getting to the hospital and Taylor's oldest time, we got there and we tried to explain what was wrong, but everyone just believed that you were on drugs. So there was no, no real help or assistance from the, uh, the, you know, the, the A&E department that mm. we went to. And I don't know if you remember being there or not, but then you just took off and we, we couldn't catch you. And I think, yeah, like I remember all that. Um, I give him a plug, but the gym was called J Train. It's still there in the Northern Beaches. Yeah, I spoke to James after the fact, and like he's you know, more than understanding and apologised, you know, after the episode and everything with the way I behaved and bringing that to his his house. Um, but yeah, no, I sort of remember going into the hospital, and I think that's probably a good example of being poked and what you like when you um, when you are manic is like I remember them. I remember hearing them mentioning, oh, he's clearly on drugs, or 
And so yeah, I remember just that, that was just a bit of an example of, of the way I cracked the shit. Um, but yeah, I think it'd probably another analogy is like you know, you, as you say, like I became this person that I'm sort of not. Is like I recently watched um, a Maradona documentary um, for Diego Maradona, and um, like his family and friends described it as um, we knew Diego, you know, this family man, this this person who cared about everyone around him so much as Diego. But then as he became famous, he became this Maradona character. Um, and it's not a bad sort of analogy for um, for manic episodes is, is people become this just different person and this different character, like an avatar of themselves. Yeah, and I think it's probably the same when, when people's at, people are at their lowest point, right? And you can't. You can't sort of talk them round anymore. And, yeah. Um, they be, they become this person that, again that's an avatar just in the other way that's not themselves. And um, but for some reason people understand. Probably fucking sad um, check on reality, but people understand the low parts so much easier. After you left the hospital, um, I don't know again how much you remember, and we we've never really like mm. openly talked about that day so i can only say what i remember but but i have no idea what what you remember um but mm -hmm. i i do know that a friend of ours uh tried to reach you and at this point you had got to uh manly ferry wharf and mm -hmm. um you you were sat having a, a coffee i think i don't know with with him he knew at this point that there was there was something amiss but we were saying to him, can you just keep him there until we can get that? So I remember me and Ten and your then stepdad, we all jumped in the car and we drove down. I remember Ten going in and trying to stop you getting on the ferry to go to the eastern suburbs. And she said you would not back down. And you, you, you were very confrontational. She said you were up in her face. And she said there was nothing that was going to make her back down because she wanted you to not get on that ferry and you got on the ferry and she couldn't stop you I don't think anyone could have um, and then we're obviously all worried but at the time you had a motorbike um, and then you were out in the eastern suburbs in this manic state driving on your motorbike we were obviously all worried sick um, people were making reports of you you, you know, in gyms in the eastern suburbs and stuff, because obviously you were a million miles an hour going everywhere. Um, and then they managed to get you back home. A friend of ours, um, Ben, came to to visit you. Do you remember much about that? Obviously, we were saying to Ben, Ben, bless him, I think was probably terrified at the time. Can you share a bit about that part of the story? I understand the worry of when someone's manic, etc. But um, it's quite funny because I think probably when someone's manic, your sort of senses and your you're probably more alert. You're probably more alert and more sober than you'll ever be driving or riding in your life. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's quite yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, but um, yeah, Ben, um, an amazing friend, and you know I've been lucky enough to have amazing colleagues, friends, bosses, um, through these episodes, otherwise I wouldn't say never get back to, you know, a successful career, et cetera, because I'm pretty determined about it, but, um, it certainly made the path back easier. 
Yeah, and of course. Ben, you know, certainly one of those friends. Um, remember meeting Ben and then in the apartment, and remember just you know we lived in the same block of apartments, um, and we went down to the to the pool. That's a shared pool, and sort of had a swim, and then we were in um, the jacuzzi, and then all of a sudden we were sat in there and we were just talking. And I was probably acting like the imbecile that I was manic at the time, um, and the rational shit that was coming out of my mouth. Um, and then I remember police coming in and just walking in, obviously in full attire. And I was just like, what do you want? And they were like, oh, can you get out? I was like, I'm not getting out. Can you get out of the jacuzzi? I'm not getting out. And then they just wouldn't leave. I was like, leave me alone. I've done nothing wrong. Just leave me alone. Um, and, that's, and in your defence, you hadn't done anything wrong. That is the frustrating yeah. part. But it's just we knew that you needed help and nobody knew how to get you to get that help. Yeah. And then they were just, you know, demanding that I get out, and I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, so then that pissed me off. So then I ended up soaking two or three of the policemen <laughs> that were there with the water from the jacuzzi. Um, and then I, obviously that didn't make them the happiest people. Um, but I was just basically laughing. And yeah, I was like, just get out and leave me alone. I've done anything wrong. And then they were crying. I was like, why are you crying over water? You're crying over being wet with water. Um, which is, you know, one of the funnier parts looking back. And then sort of, you know, left. And when I went to leave, they had taken, like, my towel. So, like, I walked out, I was just, like, dripping wet. And I was like, give me my fucking towel. I was just stood there, my swimmers dripping wet through, like, the whole complex. And they, like, refused to give me a towel. And that obviously then pissed me off further in the state that I was. And I was just like, oh, fucking just leave me alone. And then not only had they taken my towel, they also taken my swipe pass to my apartment. So then I was, due to the security of the building, I was then locked basically in the lobby almost. Um, and at this point, you know, more and more police turned up and I was just like, just give me my pass and I'll go up to my apartment and you can all go home and leave me alone. Um, and obviously at this point, they were not going to do that. I'm going to take that as an answer. Um, and I was just like, oh, I'll just fucking get out of my lobby. So they wouldn't get out of the lobby or leave me alone. They wouldn't give me the cards, and then that was pissing me off. And then, you know, just this argument just kept escalating. And, and sort of next thing, I got tasered. Got tasered by the sort of Australian police. Um, for anyone that is listening, tasers do hurt, and they do work. So, um, you know, that was an experience I never thought I'd have, but one to tick off the bucket list, I suppose. And, yeah, basically just got um, restrained and then put onto a bed and then taken to a mental hospital for assessment and... Um, was basically you know put on medication and, and again sections again and that was the, the start of the second one and that experience certainly you know as nice as you know some of the staff were there and they, they were really great to me i think the the australian mental health service leaves a lot to be desired versus the that of the uk that was yeah that was going to be one of my questions actually if you felt that the because they've got a lot of mental health awareness over there they're very open um but obviously how the healthcare system works in Australia is primarily people have private health and they pay and they pay for you know psychiatrists and therapists and so on and so forth mm-hmm. but for that the portion of their healthcare system that is actually you know the, the standard stuff that's that's free do you feel that the, the system is actually better in the UK for the support uh, when it comes to mental health or brain disorders than it actually is in Australia. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Okay. Yeah, it all comes down to I suppose budgeting and and all the rest of it and money of where allocated money goes for for, for this or for that. And um, I don't know if it's 
it's due to time or if it's due to the country, but um, you're 100% right, like the awareness and the charities, you know. You look at things um, like in Movember, like Movember started off as, like I know that people do it now for any charity they almost choose to, um, but like Movember did start off as this sort of mental health awareness month for, for men to talk to each other and, and for to open up. You know, I've done it several times and, and not even asked for a cent of donation. Um, just because I'm more interested in, in how myself growing a moustache then makes my friends open up about you know the shit that they're going through and, and makes it just a normal conversation for everyone to have. Um, I feel like that, and again, I don't know whether it's just because you know it's obviously been ten, nearly ten years now since I've lived in the UK, but um, over here it's certainly much more of an open topic um, than than it ever was when I was in the UK, but. In terms of general health service from for mental health here, um, I think they're a long way behind, which is interesting because the rest of the health service here is, is, so, is so supreme. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like and to, to give listeners context, like you, if you want to go and get an x-ray here, you walk to your local doctor, they send you to an imaging centre around the corner and you walk in and in 20 minutes you've got your x-ray and you walk out. Um, so like the efficiency on, on so many things that they do from... MRIs to X-rays, which um, you know, to the health service, where you know the majority of, of people have private health insurance in, in the country. Um, there's so many things that, that are brilliant here, um, but, but mental health is, is certainly one. In retrospect, I think needs needs a lot more exposure and, and funding and, and training. Um, effectively. I remember um, we were all actually we were quite nervous to come and visit you in the hospital uh, not which which sounds selfish not not because of of fear but because of of upset really and it was upsetting uh, when we came to the hospital I remember it's like a jail mm-hmm. million locked doors mm-hmm. to get in and I remember you know they'd obviously they'd put you on the meds you were eating we took you so much food and you just ate that drug i spoke about earlier right where mm. it makes you drowsy and it makes and the other side effect is it makes you eat um and how long did it did did they keep you in that hospital for on the second episode and how long did it take to to sort of treat you and get you back to some some sort of yeah, lower I level being, i remember being told it was it, i think my mum told me it was a lot less than what i had in the uk okay um, what with regards to time or medicine just dur- just duration duration yeah um so yeah it was um yeah that, that's that's all i remember i had a guess i don't know a month six weeks so i can't really totally remember your job at the time they stood by you and uh once you were out of hospital you went back to your job that you were doing before the episode and they were really supportive as you said earlier uh you know, with regards to to trying to help you get back into into work um, and stuff. Mm-hmm. But how did how did your second episode affect your friendships um, at that time um, and your relationship at that time? I guess. Um, if yeah, those are I things you're comfortable to talk about. No, like, yeah, I'm fine with it. Um, I think um, friendships. Um, yeah, I think like you know the, the people when you go through shit. I think it's like you always remember the people that were there, right? It's as the as the tattoo reads on my arm, right? That like you don't remember the people you won't forget. It's like well, the, the people that you don't for, you, you won't forget and you, you don't forget. And that's you know to Larry and Pete from Zip who, who welcomed me back to 
you know, the people that are in my closer team to the people that I intimidated, you know. Um, I think when I could, and, and I think people say it's brave, but it's probably the wrong word for me. It's, um, I think it's just, just being open enough to have the conversation and, and say, I'm really sorry. And, and that wasn't me. And I was in a state that was this avatar. Um, and, and, you know, I need, I need you to understand that that's, it was no reflection of how I think of you or, or, yeah. or otherwise then, then people were sort of open to that. Um, so, you know, for those friendships, uh, if anything now, you know, they understand more and, and they pick up on this shit quicker when I'm, when I'm not at the zero and not at my neutral. Um, yeah. you know, if they, they, they start to pick up on my, hang on, what's he just said there? Um, well, what's he just done there? And it's like, he's not being himself. Um, which again, you know, on which, and I think that's where people sometimes struggle to deal with it. It's like, where is Elliot? having you know he's at a party and he's having just a great time and um you know it's a session where everyone's enjoying themselves everyone's buzzing or is he ill and it's where like that's where they you know there's no defined line it's not like you know you 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 go into a, hit by a bus and you get a broken forearm right and, and then you put in a cast it's like there's nothing that openly is blatantly obvious um until it's at the stage where stuff is blatantly obvious and yeah. Um, you know, you are smashing water all over police and, and acting irrational and, um, you know, walking out of hospital after half an hour of saying that you'd go in there. It's like, is that the scale of, you know, irrationality and, and delusion and everything else? Um, so, yeah, and it's, I suppose to my relationship, you know, um, my girlfriend Jenny at the time, she was incredible, um, you know, stuck by me through all the horrendous shit that I would have said and done to her through that time. And, um you know, we, we ended up obviously spitting up and I think that was probably the, the straw that broke the camel's back for her to stay in the country and she, she ended up making decisions to go back to Ireland. Um, but yeah, again, for sort of forever in her debt and um, forever has my respect. And um, yeah, I can't, can't really speak highly enough of, of some of the shit that went down and some of the, the ways that she, she stood by um, in the end. But um, yeah, that, that relationship ended um and i suppose you know i think might even you know how do you piece back the, the puzzles of your life obviously you know you go through this when all of a sudden you're like you know i'm not getting paid anymore for a month two months of my 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 life over here and it's like well i've still got rent to pay so then you know my apartment's gone so i'm now back living with, with my mum and my stepdad and um i don't know if I, i've got a job back yet don't know if friends are willing to go for a beer with me again and uh, like those pieces and you know it's micro steps and how you, you get your life back and it's, it's a lot of uncertainty you know, I guess when you came out of the hospital where where you yeah, were gonna go and, moving forward and what to expect like you said from from kind of everything and everyone that you you know you one day had everything and then fast forward you know six weeks or however long you were in the hospital and you know you've gone gone from having everything to almost nothing living back with your mum you know very very different situation to to what you you had sort of had prior to the episode that's it right like you almost have like you know far from perfect but you have this puzzle that you've made in your life and then uh, a, man, a manic episode comes along and just fucking throws the puzzle in the air and then you've got to start piecing it back together again right um and that's you know a simple analogy of sort of what it does and um 
as you say, yeah, I think I like I look back now and after the second episode, I'm, I'm much more content and, and at ease with with my situation, you know. And I, I suppose the one thing that I sort of feel guilty of it's like you know it said at the you said at the start like in the intro of I live with it. It's like I, I feel like that's a cheat. Like I don't feel like I actually live with it. Do you know what I mean? Like I. No, because it doesn't affect you on a daily basis. It's just been two short periods of your life that have been affected by this. They're just extreme, like don't get me wrong, they're fucking extreme periods that I'd never wish on anyone to have. But um, in terms of living with it every every day and and day in, day out, it's like, apart from telling myself, Elliot, you haven't had much sleep in the last few days because of work or because it's too hot or because of, you know, whatever, but you can't sleep. Um, Then just being conscious of that and if I need to, ignore my phone and mong out on the couch for a day or two then that's generally what i what i teach myself and it's like, just about to learning to better control your symptoms to stop i guess that happening again as best as possible yeah exactly right right and i suppose it's i suppose with, with the manic thing it's like if you look at it in a positive light it's like that's sort of stuff that is, is easily controlled and she won't live what's perceived to be the healthier life like you know, sleep and hydration and being healthy and living you know, a balanced life is, is is what you're looking for and you can sort of if you, everyone should be able to control that to a degree yeah definitely it's the, it's, and i'm lucky and i'm lucky enough and blessed enough that if you know um if that i only get acute bipolar any everyone in 2020 has had shit going on in their life which has you know negatively affected them and you know for someone with bipolar it's like the world's against them and I'm sort of, um, you know, and that goes from, you know, the minus one to the minus three to the minus five to the minus seven quickly for, for people that suffer with that. So um, I'm, I'm very blessed or, you know, even though it doesn't sound like you should say you're blessed when you've just been talking for an hour about shit that's gone wrong. Um, but, yeah, so it's just very blessed and very fortunate that I don't have to, to deal with, with that part sort of every day. Um, yeah. You know, and I think my mindset is, is, is very blessed or learned that, if shit does go wrong, then I'll just correct it quickly and try and move forward quickly. Get it under control. I mean, you're you're a really good um, sort of advocate for mental health awareness. Um, I'll start winding things up now, but um, but yeah, I mean, I will if you're okay with it. Um, I'll tag you in the um, post for this podcast on um, on the platforms that I, I share it on and also on my social media platforms so that if anyone is going through this situation or suffers with this illness and would like some help or advice, would it be okay to tell them to reach out to you and, and contact you on social media? Yeah, totally fine. Um, you know, I think uh, for me and first contact is you know I've helped a number of people going through going through some shit times and um become very good in, in structuring my life of how to start piecing stuff back together and how to um how to do that so I'm more than happy to, to help anyone and as I said wouldn't wish it on anyone so um yeah feel free to reach out and, and that certainly goes for even people that I suppose are dealing with um friends or relatives that are potentially going through what you may consider as a manic episode but um, my advice is to, to everyone and everyone is to get to know your friends and, and your family a little bit better and then you'll pick up on the, the minus one and the minus three which is, are easier to correct and or the plus one and plus three which are easier co- to correct than the than the fives and the sevens when shit's out of control and, and you need help from other people yeah 
Oh, that's brilliant, Al. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and bravely sharing your story so openly. Um, I really appreciate it. And I'm sure that the people listening will really appreciate it too, particularly for those people who either are dealing with mental health disorders themselves or, you know, have friends or, or family that are. Um, and I will um, pop some uh, information links on all of the Grown Up Hustle uh, platforms. So for anyone suffering with mental health issues looking to reach out, um, I will provide some organisations um, that they can contact to reach out to, or also Elliot. So thank you so much for today. Al, you've been an absolute star. No worries. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks as always, guys, for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, then don't forget to click subscribe. And if you haven't already, if you could leave a quick review, I'd be grateful because reviews help the show reach more listeners and get these chats out there. If you want to connect with Elliot or get more information on bipolar, then head over to the Grown Up Hustle podcast on Instagram, where you'll find Elliot and all of his social media links tagged on the grid. While you're there, don't forget to give us a follow to keep up to date with show topics and events. Next week, I've got Rebecca on the show. Rebecca's a cosmetic injector nurse, and she's going to be chatting to us about the trials and tribulations of aging disgracefully. Rebecca's going to tell us all about the good and bad points of cosmetic injectables and the red flags that you need to look out for if you are considering going down this route. I hope you guys have an absolutely awesome week in the sunshine. I am fully pumped that it's sunny because we all know I'm a sun junkie. So on that note, I'll catch you all soon.